This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Good morning. We've got Dr. David Rabin, a board-certified psychiatrist and translational neuroscientist. He is the chief innovation officer, co-founder, and co-inventor at Apollo Neuroscience, Inc., and has been studying resilience and the impact of chronic stress in humans for over a decade. Dr. Rabin has also organized the world's largest controlled study of psychedelic medicines in collaboration with colleagues at Yale, the University of Southern California, Modern Spirit, and MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, to determine the mechanisms of the dramatic therapeutic benefits observed following psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy in treatment-resistant mental illness. Welcome, Dr. Rabin. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here at this auspicious time. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And and we were speaking a little bit off air, but I think it would be really fantastic for us to really focus the conversation today on COVID-19. You know, what uh, is happening for so many of us, even those of us who like to believe that we're always calm, cool and collected, mm-hmm. you know, really diving into the physiology of what's happening for us uh, and, uh, you know, how we can better prepare for what's to come. Absolutely. I think you know, it's important to recognize that none of us are are immune to this psychologically or physically. So I think that when there's any kind of hint even uh, of a threat around us that's this significant, this wide reaching, and to a large extent, this poorly understood, that it sets off a lot of um, fight or flight responses in all of us, myself included, my family, the people I work with, um, you know, people in hospitals are particularly alarmed right now because of, you know, they have to go to work um, and they're basically mandated to work with people who are ill. Mm-hmm. And many of those people are getting exposed. And I think it's something that a lot of us are, are genuinely worried about and should be concerned about. And um, and I think what's really interesting coming from a mental health perspective is that this kind of stress that we see with COVID is actually where, where we is, is forcing us into a situation w- that we see with our folks with post-traumatic stress disorder all the time, which is called hypervigilance. It's this idea that we never feel safe um, and everything around us is always kind of moving really fast or un- uncertain or unexpected and, and out of our control. And so what we do in response to that, at least what many of us do in, in intuitively without really thinking about it, because this is how we've been taught, is we try to sink our claws in and wrap our arms around anything we can to try to make ourselves feel like we're in control and that we can generate stability in the situation, which unfortunately typically involves us pulling things in from outside of ourselves to do that, Mm -hmm. Um, which is important to have resources. It's important to have the people you need nearby. Um, At the same time, the single biggest thing that results in our survival is what we've trained ourselves to do with our own bodies, right? And how we've trained ourselves to approach problems, how we've trained ourselves to deal with stress, resilience training, um, as you mentioned, is something that I've been working on for a long time. And the the simplest way to think about it, uh, I think is really just to think about the contrast of what we were just talking about, which is when we start to feel anxious, restless, worried, overwhelmed, et cetera, it is almost always singly due to us devoting our precious mental and attention resources to spend time thinking about things that we can't control. Mm 
And if we instead recognize that we're doing that and say, hey, wait a minute, what if we take this precious attention and, and conscious resources that we have and spend that time thinking about things we can control, like how we breathe, how we, how we eat, when we eat, um, what our daily schedule is, how rested we are, all of those things we can control much better than we can things that are going on outside of ourselves. And that is probably one of the single biggest ways that we can minimize anxiety and balance the stress response in our nervous systems to help us recover more effectively and, re and resist illness. But I think a lot of the time, these cog interesting cognitive tools that we use all the time in mental health um, are just not passed down to the general public. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of what we're doing uh, in my work and with Apollo and a big focus of our work is trying to help translate the sort of idea of translational neuroscience is to translate everything that we've learned from psychiatry, psychology, neuroscience and, and medicine in general into something that's more approachable and accessible by the general public. And I think that's really key. You know, the practicality piece, I find even when I'm you know speaking to uh, my followers or my tribe is translating like, this is the research. This is what we know. How does this translate into applicable, practical solutions so that we can manage and mitigate what we're experiencing? I always used to call it compartmentalizing. And I have teenage boys at home who are mm -hmm. old enough to, you know, listen to the news, read the newspapers. And, you know, they're, they're used to being very active and, and having conversations about this is our new normal. I don't know how long it will last this is the things that we can control. And for me, it's just trying to keep enough food in the house because they are going to eat me out of house and home soon enough. Uh, but also, you know, getting in the physical play. I, I think for many people and myself included, you know, when I'm feeling stressed, my normal inclination is to go to the gym. Well, that's obviously off the table. So I was explaining to my children, if you're wondering why a bunch of Amazon boxes, you know, showed up, it's that we have to make a home gym so that we can work out from home and have the ability to sweat a little bit, laugh, you know, you know, interact with one another because there's so many other things I cannot control at this point in time. But I'd love for you to share with the listeners when you're talking about kind of the physiologic things that go on with our bodies during that stress response. I think people associate, you know, their heart rate may go up, their blood pressure goes up, they may get sweaty, they may feel anxious. You know, it's the, I'm being chased by a saber tooth you know, tiger, you know, your body goes into this, this, you know, mode where, you know, you're not going to stop to eat, you're not going to digest your food, you're not going to mm -hmm. stop to have relations with your partner, you're very focused, very myopic, um, you know, talk us, talk us through some of those things, you know, beyond what I've already mentioned that actually occur that influence our ability to be able to focus or not for that matter. Sure. Yeah, or, or really just the way that they change our focus, right? And the way they change these, these things from our around us change the way that we can use our attention and use our resources. I think you talk about this a lot, this idea of scarcity mindset um, and trying to avoid scarcity mindset. I think that's a really good way to think about it because scarcity mindset means fight or flight. It means mm -hmm. fight or flight or freeze response, high stress response system activity, um, high concern about survival or managing threat in that moment. And, um, and we see that in the body when we measure people and whether we do it or whether people have done it, you know, for the last 50 or 60 years, we see that when people are in the scarcity mindset place, mm -hmm. which we tell people never to be in, right? When we do negotiation right. practice or training or business training, we always say negotiate from a point of strength that includes with in, in your every moment of your life, mm -hmm. right? Um, we don't talk about it that way, but that's, definitely important. And so when we're in that scarcity mindset, our heart rate goes up, our mm -hmm. blood pressure goes up, our breathing rate gets faster mm -hmm. 
and our speed of our thoughts starts to go up. And so we start to have more negative intrusive thoughts. We start to have racing thoughts, overwhelming thoughts. We start to sweat. Um, and I think most importantly, uh, you know, for people to understand what's going on here is the body is not that complicated. We're really just trying to balance threat and safety. The threat response is supposed to be active when we're running from a saber-toothed tiger or a lion, as you said, when there's a real survival threat mm -hmm. or when we're out of food, out of water, out of air, Right, mm -hmm. those kinds of threats that are immediately uh, resulting in a survival issue, mm -hmm. those need to be dealt with with the fight or flight system immediately to get mm -hmm. us to safety. Um, the reason why that system works that way is because when we are running from a tiger or when we're falling asleep in our tent and there might be a threat like a bear or something outside or an enemy, we don't want to be able to fall asleep, mm -hmm. right? We don't want to be able to worry, we don't wanna worry about digesting our food or reproducing or being creative and we're mm -hmm. trying to get out of a threatening situation. And so what happens is in those situations of scarcity or threat, our bodies take all of our precious resources like blood, oxygen, mm -hmm. um, and, and you know all the little energy molecules that we use, proteins, et cetera, and it diverts them to the motor cortex, the, the parts of our brains that make us move, the parts of our, the fear centers of our brains, and our skeletal muscles and our heart to get us out of that situation as quickly as possible, which is great. That's incredibly important for actually life-threatening experiences. Mm -hmm. The problem is that in our day-to-day -day lives, particularly in Western culture, we are not surrounded by actual survival threat on a regular basis. So what happens is our brains and our bodies have not been trained to interpret what is threat and what is actually not threat. And so we start to do what's called misappropriating threat. We start to interpret things that are threatening as, or that are not threatening as threatening, mm -hmm. like emails, our kids yeah. screaming, tra <laughs> traffic, work, yeah. right? All of these different things, responsibilities that we have, um, all of these things become potentially triggering uh, of the threat response system. And so over time on a moment to moment or daily basis, we are constantly diverting resources or our body perceives that we should be diverting resources away from reproduction, away from creativity, away from our rest and digest and our immune system, which is I think very, very relevant right now, which is why we have so much immune dysfunction when we're stressed out. And we can measure this with heart rate variability, which um, many of your, of your listeners may be aware of. Heart rate variability is the rate of change of our heartbeat over time, which over the last 25 years or so has become the most reliable biomarker of chronic stress. And so people who have low heart rate variability, it's a sign that those people are in a state of fight or flight or high stress most of the time, or they're not recovering well from their stress, meaning they're not sleeping well, um, or they're not getting good restful sleep, which is our best way to recover energy. Um, and so those people are more likely to get sick. They're more likely to not recover when they get sick. And when they do get sick, they're more likely to die of that illness, which is fascinating because this is the very first time that we've ever had a biomarker that we can track over time and actually use that to help us predict um, what people's outcomes will be like, but also whether our treatments are working, right? If our treatments are working well, we should be seeing a boost in HRV, which corresponds with improved outcomes and improved recovery. So now this is kind of shifting medicine because wearables are starting to become very, very powerful yes. tools for helping us. And now in a society where people are not going in to see their doctors as often, wearables are gonna be even more important than they were before.
Absolutely. And I think, you know, interesting because my whole background as a nurse practitioner, 16 years of which was in cardiology, and it was really at the cusp of when my patients would bring in a device and they would be showing me, you know, what do you think of this? What do you, and I just said, I think this is going to be absolutely pivotal because we're allowing our patients to have the opportunity to be really genuinely feeling like they're in control of some things. There's so many things they feel out of control about, but they right. feel vested and interested and, and everyone likes to bring in data. I used to love mm-hmm. my engineer patients. I would say, are you an engineer? And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, cause you created a spreadsheet <laughs> and I've got all this, I've got all this data to look at. Clearly you're very quantitative focused, but let's talk about how people can, you know, you mentioned some devices. So I'm thinking about aura rings and things like that, heart math or, or some of the mm-hmm. things I'm more familiar with. Um, but talk us through some ways that people can actually, you know, utilize that information and use it in, in and be able to use it and apply it to real life. Like, am I keeping my stress under control? Clearly right. I'm not because um, how can they use that in an applicable, uh, practical way? Well, that's a really great question. I think ideally we look, we figure out as best we can, how to listen to the science from our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. This is a great time for us as a, as a culture where things are kind of going on pause. Mm-hmm. So it's an opportunity for us to, you know, amidst all of the craziness around us, just take a step back and say, okay, what is my body telling me right now? Mm-hmm. Um, however, many of us haven't been taught how to do that, which is mm-hmm. understandable. And so it's not that easy to necessarily just all of a sudden learn how to listen to your body when nobody has ever mm-hmm. showed you how to do it. So there are other strategies to do that. And I think you know, Aura Ring is one, and I have one right here, uh, is a great example of how to track metrics that help Mm -hmm. guide our health. So, Mm -hmm. but, but again, I think, and there's some other devices that can do that too. Um, The Whoop can do it um, by measuring HRV. The Apple Watch can measure HRV, Mm -hmm. although most people don't wear it when they sleep. I think the Aura Ring is, is a bit of a unique tool because it tracks, it has a, you know, it's, it's very easy to wear and use and it mm-hmm. tracks HRV over an extended period of time. And what we really care about with wearables is HRV, heart rate variability mm-hmm. and stress trends, not point of use measurements. I think people forget that wearables are not that accurate yet. And yeah. so while they are very interesting and you know, having worked in cardiology, they're yeah. very interesting, but the, the gold standard is always an EKG, right? Correct. Well, I love it. People would say, I think I'm an AFib. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Eh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, right. And, and that's it. Some people are able to really accurately feel their yes. bodies and know when they're an AFib immediately right. and then start doing deep breathing exercises mm-hmm. to bring them back and center. Um, mm-hmm. that, but stress is one of the biggest, as you know, uh, mm-hmm. stimulators of atrial fibrillation, which leads people into these, you know, very uncomfortable um, conditions that wind up bringing them to the ER. So uh, to see people like us. So I think, <laughs> so I think the, uh, you know, the idea is, can we, um, you know, what, what insights can we gather from the wearable technology that's available to help us change behavior? I think that's step one. Mm-hmm. And the wearables that do that now are, again, I think Oura Ring is one of the best ones. Mm-hmm. And I think the goal is try to boost our HRV over time, right? Maybe you're starting with an HRV 30, 20 to 30. Uh, milliseconds. Maybe you're starting within the 50 to 70 milliseconds. Maybe it's a little higher. I'd say most of us, the on average right now, I think in the U.S. population, we're probably somewhere between 30 and 60 milliseconds of heart rate variability. We want to aim to be between 60 and 120, or between 80 and 120 on a regular basis. And as we trend our patterns over time, 
as we improve our sleep patterns, as we improve our nutrition and our diet, uh, especially when we eat, not just what we eat, Mm -hmm. but when we eat and our exercise patterns and our mental and cognitive and emotional stress, um, using a lot of the strategies that you've been talking about on your show, um, that is when you'll start to see a, a dramatic increase in HRV over time. Um, that said, I will, I should mention that we have been tackling or, you know, really researching this problem for a long time because there are no technology, there are lots of techniques that boost heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. Um, we talk about some of this on a blog I recently wrote on, on the Apollo neuro website. Um, and you can, you, you can get the best ways to boost HRV are sleep, good, good, restful sleep and, um, deep breathing and breathing in particular, boosts heart rate variability by sending safety signals to the brain telling us, hey, I'm safe enough to take a deep breath right now. And now, now are you referring to meditative type breathing or yoga breathing or just the actual inhalation, you know, because that's that's always a technique I use if I'm speaking is that I know mm-hmm. how to slow my heart rate down. I just really take a, you know, long time inhaling and exhaling and that will, you know, stimulate the vagus. But anyway, so, I'm just curious. So in that moment, so I would say it's breathing in general, but it's okay. it's not just any breathing. It's mm-hmm. it's just intentional breathing. So okay. it's it's so the idea of intentional breathing is that we all breathe in different ways. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own way that they've learned to do it. So, but intentional breathing is just saying in this moment I'm focusing as much attention as I can on feeling the air come into my okay. body, and then being present with it. Okay. And what happens is when we take that time, as you probably experienced, what you just mm-hmm. described before an event, um, is what happens is as soon as that air starts to come into our bodies, it sends an immediate signal to our brains. that says, I'm safe enough to take the time to pay attention to this air coming into my body. It's the same thing as when a loved one touches you or gives you a hug on a bad day, right? If we were running from a bear, we would, or a saber tooth tiger, we would not have time to to intentionally (laughs) focus on our breath. We would not have time to focus on how good it feels for someone to give us a hug or hold our hands. Mm -hmm. We'd be thinking about getting out of that situation, right? And so the body, it's a critically critically important to understand that we are born with in in our genes, in our bodies, in our minds, these systems that work to regulate and keep us in balance. And so if we ignore that these systems exist, if we ignore that this breathing safety feedback loop exists Mm -hmm. or the touch safety feedback loop or the music safety feedback Mm -hmm. loop, we know that exists, right? We Mm -hmm. all experience the positive benefits of soothing music in our lives on our generally, hopefully regular basis. Um, Then if we ignore that, then we forget how to use it and we forget how to integrate it into our lives. But when we remember that we have access to these tools. It's like having a toolbox, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You're working on your car, working on your house. If you use the wrong tools or don't know how to use the tools, you're going to break your car. If you know how to use the tools and you know what tools are available to you, or if you know what tools are available and you don't know how to use them, you can find people to teach you how to use them and you can move in a positive trend. Um, And so Apollo, which we can get into later, um, mm-hmm. but Apollo is a tool that we added to the toolbox that is a wearable technology that is the first wearable technology that um, boosts HRV without people having to do anything. Deep breathing is the most, and biofeedback are the most reliable techniques for boosting heart rate variability. It turns out soothing touch, as we talked about, ink does the same thing by boosting safety signals to the body through the skin. And so we developed a technology that uses vibration that targets that soothing touch uh, pathway in the skin by sending what feels like ocean waves or like a cat purring on your body or like it feels Mm -hmm. kind of like somebody holding your hand or like a hug. Mm -hmm. And that signal by just simply saying, 
I'm allowing myself to pay attention to this right now instantly reminds us that we're safe and grounds our minds back into our bodies and helps us to function more effectively in whatever situation it is that we're in. And I think this is really critical. You know, we're actually going to release this podcast um, within the next few days because I think the information is so applicable. So for all of us that are experiencing and we're all experiencing in our own ways, what's going on with COVID, the restrictions that we've had to change and, and the way that we've had to alter our lives, going to work, going to the gym, um, having our children do those kinds of activities, really honing in on there are specific ways that we can help rebalance the fight or flight versus the rest and repose part of our brains. You know, you talked about music, therapeutic touch. That means actually connecting with one another. That's really, really critical. Um, listening to one another, mm -hmm. um, yoga, meditation, biofeedback. So I, I think these are really, really helpful strategies. And, and some obviously are, are a little bit more detailed than others, but really, really helpful for, um, you know, calming our central, calming our nervous system so that we're not feeling quite so overwhelmed, um, you know, feeling for many people what, what I'm, I'm articulating, what I've been told, people are feeling fearful and, right. uh, you know, it's the unknown that they're, that they're so frightened about. Right. Exactly. And I think that, you know, you, you made some really good examples of just sort of, you know, what kind of small changes can I make in my life mm -hmm. that help us feel more in control, mm -hmm. right? The idea of feeling in control, even if it's just over something like your breath and nothing else is so powerful for us that it just helps. It, it really is, is part of that core system that keeps us in balance and keeps us feeling safe. And, you know, we, there's a whole lot going on in the world around us all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not just now. Um, we're just more aware of it now because the whole world is in seeming crisis, but you know, there's tons going on around us all the time that we're not in control of that. We're not aware of. I think this just really brings it to the surface. And this is an opportunity for us to, understand and really take to heart how critical these these um, strategies are to, to integrate into our lives of in, increasing agency, right? Sh showing us and teaching us what can we do in any moment to help ourselves and our family feel safe, right? And our friends. And I think you know. the reframing process is so critical because even with my own patients, when they're they're saying one thing, I'll say, but really what you're saying is right. so that they reframe so that they're looking at it in a positive light as opposed mm -hmm. to a negative one. Um, you know, you've alluded to Apollo and I'd love for you to share a bit more about it. You know, I, I really was so looking forward to this interview because so much of what we're talking about is so directly applicable to what we are experiencing, uh, not only as a nation, but as a world right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think and um, what you said about reframing is really great because a lot of people don't even know what that word means. Mm -hmm. But really, um, you know, what we when we see the world through, and we use this all the time with with mm -hmm. uh, in, our, in our practice, when we see the world, but what um, what you're talking about is seeing the world through a frame, right? Mm -hmm. It's this frame of this is the world that I know. And that's fine. We all have it. There's no denying it. We all have it. I think the idea of reframing is saying, okay, if this is the frame that I'm seeing the world through, it's acknowledging that frame and saying, okay, I accept that this is how I'm seeing things. Let's try to see things intentionally from a different mm -hmm. perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the best examples, and Apollo, uh, the wearable that we've developed at the University of Pittsburgh is, or is a reframing tool, right? So, so reframing is the way that we take an idea like, oh my God, why me right now, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of this idea that we're all thinking about right now. Mm -hmm. We're all struggling. 
with a lot of different things because of what's happening in the world. Why me right now? Everybody's thinking it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the alternative to that would be in terms of a reframe is, okay, it's me right now. One of the most common concerns I see in perimenopause and menopause is hair loss, hair breakage, hair shedding. And knowing that over 80 million Americans are impacted by this is both reassuring, but it's wonderful to know that there are products available that can help with these symptoms. Divi is good for those with hair shedding or thinning due to stress in perimenopause or menopause. They can be helpful for addressing dry scalp. And have you wanted to take control of your hair health but aren't sure where to start? This is where Divi can be hugely impactful. I love their scalp serum. And we know that the scalp serum improves the appearance of breakage, nourishes our hair follicles, and removes product and oil buildup. There are some key ingredients, including tea tree oil, which works to reduce and prevent excess oil buildup on the scalp, amino acids that help to strengthen hair, fight frizz, which is my greatest concern, and reduce breakage, and copper tripeptide 1, which is a small protein composed of the three amino acids to facilitate a clean and hydrated scalp, as well as hyaluronic acid, which is nourishing and hydrating to our scalps. As I mentioned, Divi is not just for those experiencing hair loss. I found it to be hugely helpful for scalp health and all of Divi's products, including their shampoos and conditioners, Come together to create a full daily solution that helps women nourish their hair and get to the root of scalp health. Do you want to take back control of your hair and scalp health and do it with clean, science-backed ingredients? Go to DiviOfficial.com slash Cynthia or enter Cynthia at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's D-I-V-I official.com slash Cynthia for 20% off your first order. As I mentioned, my favorite product is the scalp serum. And now that we're in the deep throes of winter weather, it is so wonderfully nourishing and moisturizing. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery. And each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, growth factors, and proline-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. As I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, 
promoting good gut flora and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated and cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need, are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose, the three grams, actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equip. E-Q-U-I-P foods.com slash Cynthia 20. You definitely want to check this out. I'm grateful for this opportunity, Mm -hmm. this challenge that's going to force me to grow as a person. What do I do about it now? Now that this is it, this is the situation we're in. Instead of just spending all these precious brain resources that we have thinking about Mm -hmm. why me, why me, why do I have to deal with this? Why, you know, et cetera. Just saying, okay, instead of let's skip ahead of the asking the questions part, just accept that this is the way it is. And then the reframe is, I'm grateful for the opportunity to recognize my own blind spots, my own vulnerabilities, my own weaknesses. This is showing me these things and shining a spotlight on them so that I can understand how to make myself better so that the next time something worse comes along, I'm better prepared, right? My family's better prepared. My friends are better prepared. Mm-hmm. And I have more of what I need to overcome this problem. I think, you know, uh, Nietzsche said it the best, right? Which ended up getting moved forward into Star Wars, which is basically what does not kill us makes us stronger. And he's not talking about physical injury. He's talking about emotional challenges, Mm -hmm. mental challenges, life challenges. You know, what does not kill us actually does make us stronger as we grow from it. And so it's really about seeing challenge as an opportunity for growth, not an opportunity for failure. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the most fundamentally important reframes that we can possibly um, take on in our lives to help us feel better and feel more in control. Um, we're never going to stop getting challenged. If we weren't challenged, we would never develop any of the skills we have. And we all can identify at least one person that we know who has not been challenged and has no skills, right? Mm-hmm. There's, yep. this, is, this is, you know, if it's one of our friend's kids or someone we grew up with or mm-hmm. who knows, right? But we all know people like that. And we all know that we would not, we're not envious of those people who don't have skill sets because they were handed everything their whole lives. So the idea is really keeping that in mind. And, and Apollo is a tangible tool that allows us to understand that better. So mm-hmm. um, Apollo is a wearable. Um, it delivers very gentle feelings of vibration that are unlike anything you might've felt before from okay. uh, a wearable or from a cell phone. Um, it feels kind of like an ocean wave. And it's a very slow, gentle wave that kind of fades in and out of awareness. Um, It kind of feels like um, a warm energy just kind of washing over your body. Mm -hmm. You can wear it on your ankle or your wrist, but it actually works anywhere on the body. And lots of people will, um, you know, hold it to their chest or their back or put it into their belt or, you know, people do different things, which is really funny. We had a guy from the Navy uh, tape it to his forehead because he wanted, you know, he wanted to see, he wanted to sleep with it and see if he would, if providing sleep stimulate, you know, these gentle vibrations Mm -hmm. to his head would help him sleep. Um, and he had, he's had great results with that, you know, so everybody's using it in these different ways. Really? It's really funny. 
Um, but the point is you can just easily strap it, strap it on with a mm-hmm. nice soft fabric strap to your ankle or to your wrist or to your arm um, and wear it throughout the day. And then it, it will give you these bursts of vibration that you can activate from an, a mobile app or from the device itself that can be anywhere from five minutes to a couple hours. And these vibrations uh, are, are frequencies that we developed in the lab at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Psychology and Psychiatry to basically figure out how can we give people the benefits of empathic listening or the therapeutic benefits of soothing touch or soothing music without requiring them to have somebody else with them all the time. And the, and right now the way we, and, and this was really originally focused on people with PTSD because okay. the main treatment for PTSD that works the best right now is called cognitive behavioral therapy with exposure. Mm-hmm. And this is an old, it's, it's a relatively old technique, um, but the way it works is you have a therapist with you and if you're afraid of something or you've been traumatized, the therapist kind of gently walks you through the re-experiencing mm-hmm. those things, starting with the thoughts, then moving with, you know, being near it, then being mm-hmm. in it. And then the therapist kind of provides you with that sense of safety, knowing that, hey, I'm re-experiencing this now, but I'm re-experiencing it from a reframe standpoint of safety rather than fear. And that will allow me to reintegrate those memories as not traumatizing. And it mm-hmm. actually does work, but it's extremely intensive for the patients and for the therapists. Mm-hmm. And so we said, hey, I know this works and I can provide these kinds of benefits to people in the office when they're with me just by sitting with them and having really great empathic conversation and listening to them. They feel so much better because they feel safe. But when they leave, they're surrounded by all the same triggers and mm-hmm. and they, they feel out of control again when they leave the office. So can we give them something they can take out of the office? And that is effectively how we, or what drove us to develop Apollo. And so those frequencies were based on really the, the physiological pathway of touch and how we could give somebody something that, you know, deep breathing is great, but deep breathing is really hard. It can take thousands of hours. Listening mm-hmm. to music is great, but you can't listen to music when you're having a conversation with somebody or giving a talk on stage. But we can give you the benefits of that, at least in your body and in your mind, by replicating the core patterns in those uh, in those um, uh, tools, and then sending them to the body through the skin, and the body feels it and says, "Oh, I remember what this is, mm-hmm. right? I remember this feeling. This feeling feels like somebody holding my hand, or this feeling feels like being at the ocean." And then all of a sudden, it brings us back into center, back into yeah. homeostasis. And now we've had multiple studies in. Um, elite mental performers, as well as meditators and uh, physical athletes at multiple different institutions that are all showing the same thing, which is that Apollo maximizes recovery, which ultimately maximizes performance. And I think that is one of the last reframes that is critically important, is we spend all of our lives almost every day thinking about performing. Mm -hmm. Almost every moment of every day is, I need to perform, I need to perform, I need to perform. But we're forgetting that we can't perform unless we're recovered. So focusing on peak performance is really also about balancing with peak recovery. And we ha- and that is where heart rate variability comes in because heart rate variability is a sign that we're able to constantly switch between peak performance and peak recovery, peak performance, peak recovery, really, really fast, which is the way we should be. We are adaptive creatures. Adaptation is our best skill, but we cling to stability because we feel out of control. So the right. best way to adapt to feeling out of control is to learn to adapt better which is our core best skill. That's why we're at the top of the food chain. So the idea being, use these tools that we have to train adaptation. Don't train stagnancy. Don't train 
or stagnation, don't train stability, train for adaptability, train for resilience, train for bouncing back from whatever it is that's keeping us down. I'm sure by now you've heard me or others talk about the benefits of using CBD oil, and I'm telling you that it works. Direct CBD Online provides natural alternatives to prescription painkillers and medications. They sell only the highest quality CBD oils, edibles, creams, and more to help you on your search for natural well-being. And they strive to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and the products and supplements you use. If you've been thinking about trying out CBD, I highly encourage you to use Direct CBD Online. Click the link in the description to get started today. Well, I think all of the listeners know that I am a big biohacking nerd and I love to learn more about uh, techniques, strategies, concepts that allow us to live our lives more fully, more present. Uh, As you mentioned, you know, we all want to be peak performers. And so it sounds like Apollo is another tool in the tool belt, meaning it's something that's accessible, it's reasonable, it's uh, not something that is so large that people can't go about it discreetly in their in their daily lives. But I love that the the naval, probably a special ops person, probably wanted wanted to tape it to their forehead. <laughs> um, I would, however, love for you to at least address. I mean, we know PTSD means post traumatic stress disorder. I think a lot of people don't understand that it isn't just you know, military people that come back from a tour. It's not just someone who's gone through something physically traumatic. Can you talk through some of the other nuances that PTSD can kind of um, come up as with your patients or in in the research that you've done? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think that's a huge misunderstanding right now in our society um, is that only some people are traumatized. I think Mm -hmm. we're forgetting what trauma is, which is, Mm You know, when we really break down patterns of experience, what what makes a trauma is one or multiple powerful, meaningful, negative experiences mm-hmm. at any age. And um, that is really simply what a trauma is. It doesn't have anything to do with objectivity. It doesn't have anything to do really with um, any kind of guiding rules or science mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with whether we perceive having intense, one or multiple intense, meaningful experiences in our lives and whether or not we were supported after having those experiences Mm -hmm. or whether afterwards we were made to feel like it was our fault. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I would say overall, the humans are extremely resilient and able to cope Mm -hmm. with trauma. We are incredible at coping with trauma and doing something that is one of the uh, uh, Sigmund Freud's very important um, coping strategies, which is what we call sublimation. Mm -hmm. Sublimation or channeling uh, is basically taking negative feelings that we have and translating them into something positive, something productive, Mm -hmm. something that helps us feel better and um, ultimately ideally helps solve the problem that is causing us the negativity in the first place. So um, it's important that, you know, we remember that these negative feelings are actually important, right? They're signals from our environment that are sending us some information that we are supposed to be addressing. If we don't address it and we kind of sweep it under the rug or ignore it, then we're basically ignoring signals from our body or from our environment that are telling us something important. It doesn't mean that we should react to it the same way every time, 
what it means is that, hey, maybe this is something we should be paying attention to either from inside of us or from outside of us. And the way we pay attention, the way we pay attention to that, the way we handle that, that issue is very, very much directed to the way that we know that we've been taught, the way we've been role modeled. So I think, <coughs> um, I think one of the most, uh, critical ways for learning how to cope with stress that we forget about is role modeling from our families, from our, the way, what we see on TV, from people around us as kids. Um, you know, as kids, we soak in that, those coping strategies like a sponge. We don't even really think about whether they're good or bad or, or what have you. And, and so I think that, you know, ultimately the goal is, you know, understanding that trauma doesn't just mean PTSD. PTSD mm -hmm. is the most severe case. Mm -hmm. But when you look at, at, when we look at, at almost all mental illness across the board, whether it's diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety disorders, OCD, schizophrenia, um, you name it, almost mm -hmm. all mental illness has at its core somewhere early on, at least some form of mental or physical trauma as part of the process. And it's not always possible to identify what that is. That event may not be something that's readily apparent to the person's memory, um, but it's typically something that eventually does come out in almost all of these people. It just looks different because people cope with it in different ways. And I think the great tragedy of it is that we are actually extremely resilient creatures. We are incredibly able, good at coping with trauma. However, the caveat of that statement is that we have to be supported afterwards. Um, and that is probably one of the biggest tragedies of trauma is that the lack of support and the shame and guilt that is imparted to people after they are traumatized is what makes PTSD PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say that we don't know, we don't know for sure yet that that is the case because it is incredibly difficult to study that. But what I can tell you is from seeing an enormous number of these patients and working with an enormous number of colleagues who work with these patients, that there seems to be a trend with lack of support resulting in following trauma, mm -hmm. lack of support from the community resulting in the actual presentation of, of how that trauma turns into mental illness. And that we can't, again, thinking about the things we can control and the things we can't, we can't control whether or not we're traumatized. We can reduce the chances as much as possible, but we can't control COVID, for instance, right? So that COVID is in a lot of ways a trauma. It's a social societal level trauma that makes us all very much afraid on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. So that is very much trauma. We can't control that, but what we can control is how much support we give to people who are experiencing that on a regular basis. For example, by making sure that we take care of ourselves. We mm -hmm. isolate ourselves from other people who we don't need to be around and the people who we are around who are not sick, we make sure we spend quality time with them. We use our safety techniques. We mm -hmm. use soothing music, soothing touch, all of these things to help everyone feel more in control and more empowered and more supported. And when we use those techniques that we know, those tools in the toolbox like we've been talking about, then what happens is it, it induces a balance in the nervous system, which causes a simultaneous balance in the mind. And then people feel able to tap into those tools and those resources to overcome the trauma. 
Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's Colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. So that's really a critical component of trauma, but trauma is everywhere. It's just, let's support each other through it. And then we'll dramatically reduce the negative outcomes down the road. Well, this is what I love about true organic conversation, because in my mind, I had wanted our conversation to come back to the sense of community, which you're already talking about, alluding to that the only way that we will get through all of this is if we're looking out for one another 
on an emotional, on a physical level. And so, so, so critical that we take the, the I piece out of it right now and think about the greater good, think about, you know, what we want to do to benefit, um, you know, the elderly and those that are not in a position to be able to protect themselves right now. So I think that's so incredibly timely and completely organically came about in our conversation. I would love for you to touch on, because I actually don't know a lot about this, um, you know, being traditionally Western and, and functionally trained, I know that there's a lot of emerging research on psychedelic medications. And I'd love for you to just touch on um, how that can improve some of the work that you're doing with your own patients in terms of outcomes or symptoms or severity of what they're experiencing. Sure. Um, I'm, I would love to chat about that. I think you, what you brought up with this idea of community, I would love to, uh, wrap with a poem that is actually one of my favorite poems, um, by John Donne. And, you know, uh, can, can you still hear me? Yeah. So he says, uh, it's for whom the bell tolls. Um, and he says, you know, if a clod be washed away by the sea, this is written, I think in 1600s. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Wow. And that poem, and that poem has always stuck with me because I think that, you know, it really, as much as John Donne might be a controversial figure back then in terms of his writings, I think that, you know, even he recognized the critical importance of community and that we all have to stick together in whatever may come. And, and whether we stick together will directly impact the outcome of mm -hmm. the trauma, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think psychedelic medicines uh, are a, a great example of that because they are so community focused in the way that they make people feel and the way that they make people, they help people recognize the connection to themselves, the deeper connection to themselves and to everything else around them. Mm -hmm. um, I think the best way to think about, for those who don't know about anything about psychedelic medicines, um, they've been around for a very long time. There are a huge number of them. The most common ones that have been used in humanity are things like psilocybin mushrooms, mm -hmm. um, mescaline, peyote cactus, ayahuasca, ibogaine. Some of these medicines have been used for over 10,000 years, sometimes longer in the case of mushrooms. Cannabis is another psychedelic mm -hmm. um, medicine that we don't often think about as psychedelic. But I think what's, what's very important to before we go into this conversation is that the word psychedelic was chosen for a very specific reason, because psychedelic means mind manifesting. And what, and what, so what that means is it's not, it doesn't mean crazy seventies dance party, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of us immediately associate the word psychedelic with. What it actually means is therapeutically, it means taking content out of our subconscious, out of our below from beneath our awareness, and then bringing that content from beneath our awareness into our awareness so that we can act on it. So if you can understand, if anybody's had a powerful spiritual experience before a powerful mystical experience or a powerful dream experience or any kind of experience with or without medicine on board, um, you can relate to these kinds of things that we're talking about, which is that things become apparent to us that were not apparent to us before that teach us about ways that we can do things differently in our regular waking life. Mm -hmm. And that is effectively what psychedelic medicines can do. It is what they were designed to do. 
And it is why they work so well when used properly with therapy to help treat um, some of these very severe chronic mental illnesses. Um, and going back to what we were talking about before, the way they work is like a radical reframe. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the brain, the best way to think about how the brain works is the brain is a practice makes perfect system. The more we practice anything, the better we get at it, whether it's good or bad or neutral, it becomes habit. And this was actually discovered by Eric Kandel and a number of other scientists, but Eric Kandel um, was a psychiatrist who won the Nobel Prize for this discovery uh, in 2002. And he, sh he found that the same way that we build memories in this practice makes perfect experiential model is actually the same as 300 million year old sea snails. So who only have three neurons and no big brain that we have. So the fact that these mechanisms are intact for over 300 million years means that we can tap into them anytime. We just have to understand how they work. And so the basic, most basic way to understand it is the more I do something good or bad, the more I think about something in a good or bad way, helpful or not helpful, the better I will get at it. The more that we practice being stressed, the better we get at being stressed and actually putting our bodies into a trained, stressed out state. Similarly, the more we practice being adaptive and resilient and, gr and grateful and forgiving and compassionate and loving, the better we get at those things. Mm -hmm. And so it's really just about drawing awareness to the fact that we can do that. And so what psychedelic medicines do for a lot of people is they help people step out of this frame of ego that we've been living in for so long, which is I need to maintain my survival and do everything to cling to stability and survival in every moment as much as possible to staking a step back and saying, hey, wait a minute, I've done everything I can. I'm doing the best I can. Wrecking myself every moment about not doing enough is not making me better. It's not making my family better. And it's not making the people around me better. What if I take a step back and just accept that if I do my best, I will set a positive example for everyone around me. I don't need to micromanage them. I don't need to tell them what to do or be, a, or be overly assertive or officious. I set the example, which is what the Buddhists and the Hindus have been saying for thousands of years. You set the example you want to live by and everyone sees you. They see that your example is working and then they follow it by role modeling, which is the most powerful way to learn because then they feel it comes from inside them instead of you telling them, right? And that is the, that is the radical reframe of psychedelic medicine. That's really we, incredible. And I've never heard that explanation before in, in terms it, of. Yeah. The other thing I was just going to add is, and, and the summary of that is we are all more similar than we are different, right? Mm -hmm. We, we see the similarities before the differences and that's what creates that learning pattern that helps mm -hmm. us to, you know, reframe that experience. No, that's really helpful because, you know, I, I've obviously I know a little bit about that uh, topic and that's the best explanation I've ever heard. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the podcast. Um, I would love for you for us to kind of taper off um, our conversation today. And, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with you. What are a couple things that people that are listening that are stressed considering looking at the current situation with COVID-19, what are some things that they can do? I know you've alluded to some of them throughout our conversation, mm -hmm. but three kind of cohesive, two or three things that they could take away from the podcast and be able to implement fairly quickly. What would be your best recommendation? Well, I think that there are, there's several great 
great things we've talked about here. I think that the, I wouldn't suggest that everybody just go out and buy a bunch of psychedelic medicines. I think that's probably not a good idea, just given the, the craziness of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, those are very powerful. They need to be used in a very, very careful way um, with trained professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are a lot of other good strategies. I think my favorite strategy personally that has made a huge impact on my life, that is also one of the things that has made an enormous impact on my patients' lives is, and I know this will sound very simple, but it's actually something that you can do every day, which is called the four pillars. The four pillars are the foundation of building trust within ourselves that helps us feel um, autonomous agents of our own lives and safe and in control. And these are skills that many of us have forgotten about how to integrate in our lives, but they are ancient skills that have existed in Buddhism, Hinduism, and ancient tribal medicine for thousands of years, even though these cultures have never talked to each other. Um, like they existed, you know, long pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we all seem to came, come to roughly the same conclusions, which are that right. the first pillar is gratitude, self-gratitude, mm-hmm. just being grateful for waking up today, being grateful for the opportunity to take a deep breath despite the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Being grateful for the opportunity to overcome the chaos, mm-hmm. right? This will make us better. All of these are opportunities to make us better as unplanned and unpleasant as they might seem in the moment. Mm -hmm. We can never predict the outcome in the moment of what will happen. We can't necessarily understand the reasons for why things are happening. And so instead of spending all this precious time and energy that we have thinking about why or thinking about, you know, how bad things are judging the situation, it's critical for us to give the situation what it deserves, which is respect, because we don't know what the outcome is going to be and gives ourselves respect and take a step back and say, I'm grateful for the opportunity to overcome this. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be alive right now. Mm -hmm. And we call that the gratitude interrupt, which is one of my favorite practices because you can use it at any time, anywhere you are. Um, The second pillar, and that's one of the most important, the Mm -hmm. second pillar is forgiveness. So forgiving ourselves for the mistakes that we've made before and giving ourselves the support that we need to understand that we will make mistakes, we have made mistakes, but mistakes are the way that we learn, and that is how we will get better and overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so really letting go of the shame and the guilt of, of messing mm-hmm. up and understanding it's that's critical for growth. So we have to do it. It's part of life. Failure is a part of life. Um, challenge is a part of life, and it's an mm-hmm. important part. Um, the third one is, is compassion right? Compassion is something we think about a lot with other people, but we don't often think about it with ourselves. And the way that compassion manifests with ourselves is in patience. It's patience for ourselves to allow our own healing process to unfold as it will, to allow the process around us to unfold as it will, to not feel like we're always have to rush things all the time, right? That's patience for ourselves and the, and the practice of self-compassion And then the last step, the last pillar is self-love. So all of, so gratitude, forgiveness, compassion, and self-love all layer on top of each other. Mm -hmm. And they build this very, very strong, supportive sense of self that forms a confident foundation that allows us to feel like we can access the fullest, our fullest power and our fullest sense of support and agency and autonomy and control and adaptability at any time, no matter what we're doing. And these are really just cognitive skill sets, like working in the gym. You know, it's just like building muscles in the gym Mm -hmm. by practicing thinking about gratitude. You're practicing strengthening the neural circuitry of gratitude in your brain. So every time something bad happens, you say, why me? You strengthen the why me circuits. 
every right. time something bad happens, you say, I am grateful for this bad thing happening. Let's try to figure out a constructive way to overcome this mm-hmm. so I can grow and be stronger. You're strengthening those circuits. And so it's really that simple. And what I tell people is to start, you're not going to be able to do this every moment of every day. Just first thing in the morning, write down the four pillars. First thing in the morning, write down gratitude, write down forgiveness, write down compassion, write down self-love. You don't have to think about anything else other than just to have those words in your mind throughout the day. And then the first thing, but last thing before you go to bed, write down, write them down again. And over time, as you do this over a course of a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you start to see these words pop up into your life in ways that you, that they didn't before. And it will gradually start to change your life. And I think that the next, the next step directly from that for people who have already done that is to really focus on mastering breath work. You know, breath work is critical to controlling our bodies. It improves our sleep, it improves our activity, it improves our mood, it improves our ability to use our energy um, and our anxiety. It improves everything about our lives and it's the single most important way that we can show ourselves that we are in control. And so by reminding ourselves to take a deep breath, that it's okay, that we deserve, you know, taking a step back, it's not just okay, we deserve to have this moment for a deep breath and to pay attention to that breath and to feel that breath And as soon as we do that, we realize that that's slowing our mind, it's slowing our heart, it's bringing us back into balance, it's making us feel safe. Then we practice that as often as we can over and over and over again and combine it with the practice of gratitude by being grateful for the opportunity to breathe, right? And all of a sudden, these practices come together and they start to create this pattern of self-retraining that doesn't even require a teacher other than yourself. As long as you're willing to, to, to practice the skills and to forgive yourself when you're going to make mistakes because we all do and to be patient with the process then you will everyone will master these skills they're literally just built into us they're hardwired skills it's just that we've kind of forgotten them so it's really important to take the time to do that and for those people who have apollos um we've heard that people are able to we've heard from many users that they are resisting illness they feel that they're not getting sick as often from using apollos mm-hmm. we've had um I would say over 2,000 devices, um, beta test or 2,000 beta testers in the wild over the last year and a half. And many people will swear by it and say, we get sick less when we use this, which would make sense given mm-hmm. what we're doing for the nervous system from our studies. So if you have an Apollo or you have the ability to get Apollo, I would recommend using it as much as possible because I think that's only going to help. But ultimately, it's not necessary. All the tools and the skills are within ourselves um, and, you know, focusing on the four pillars, focusing on breath work and, and of course, leading that into sleep and then, you know, followed by balanced diet, um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and good sleep wake cycles and good getting exercise, just strengthening the body. All of these things will, you know, transform us into effectively, uh, just a closer, closer, that much closer to our fullest version of ourselves, which is going to be that much better at resisting illness. Thank you. That is just a beautiful compilation of, of lots of tips that people can utilize at their homes. As you mentioned, you know, these are things that are all reside within ourselves. We just have to tap into the power of them. Thank you so much for being with us this morning slash afternoon. How can people find you? I'd love for uh, listeners to be able to check you out and follow you on social media if you're, you're on there actively uh, so they can learn more about the amazing work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to chat with anybody who would like to reach out or has any questions. Um, if you'd like to learn more about our uh, about Apollo or about the technology, you can go to apolloneuro.com. 
That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. You can also go to apolloneuroscience.com. It'll take you to the same place. Um, And then we have a blog post that I published recently specifically talking about some of the things that we mentioned here. (coughs) It really focuses on, that's an old cough, by the way. (laughs) Um, I'd say, uh (laughs) uh-oh. I got got sick over uh, New Year's and for some reason my cough, this happened when I was a kid occasionally, I'd get Mm -hmm. sick and then I'd have a cough for two months afterwards. So I think that's what's uh, still happening, but it's gradually fading away. But so, yeah, we just published a blog post on talking about specific strategies for breath work and sleep that people can use to help improve their heart rate variability and their resilience. So, um, and also ways to use Apollo if you have an Apollo. So check that out. And then if you want to find me on social media, my, um, I'm on Twitter at Dave Rabin and I'm on Instagram at uh, Dr. David Rabin. And I'm also still seeing, I also still see patients. Um, I have a clinical practice, uh, mostly in California and Pennsylvania. And so for anybody who's interested in that side of my life, um, you can go to drdave.io. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and stay well. Hopefully uh, you are, you know, much like most of us, we are, we are making the very best of an otherwise uncomfortable situation. And all we have to keep doing is reframing to uh, get ourselves in a more positive mindset. Yep. You're absolutely right. And I really appreciate you for having me and having this discussion and the timeliness of it. And I appreciate you for all of, all of your hard work and all of the, um, you know, positive tips and messaging, even sharing with your community. It's so important to get this information out there right now. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.